What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Drops. Drops are an organ-based edible company and one of my go-tos when I'm heading into the dispensary. Their consistency and price point keeps them in my regular rotation of gummies. I love their 100 milligram canisters that have the little 5 milligram bites in there. They make it easy to monitor dosage and not get unexpectedly blasted. The chill ones are my favorite. They're this banging watermelon flavor and one thing that I love about these edibles is that they taste great sometimes you get some edibles that pack a punch but taste horrible and drops i have to be careful with because they taste so good that i just want to eat them like a bag of sour patch kids with drops you can choose your edibles based on how you want to feel that's possible because drops are made with live rosin a solventless full spectrum cannabis concentrate as a full spectrum concentrate rosin contains the full array of psychoactive compounds in cannabis which work together to give each strain its unique effect all of their cannabis is flash frozen and processed into that live rosin the flash freezing prevents plant material from decomposing and preserves terpenes that evaporate during the traditional drying and curing processes they come in 10 different flavors and strains to choose from including several cbd variations you can find drops at your favorite local organ dispensary just tap into the link in the episode notes to find a supplier in your area Big thanks to Drops for their support. Let's start the episode. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Day of Cable Presents podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Tuesday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so, and that will help propel this thing. 
into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast and just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe, wherever you are listening from, share the podcast with a friend, leave a comment on a social media post, whatever you can do to uh, help raise awareness about what is happening on the weekly here at Dan Cable Presents. Uh, I've also been dropping some monthly playlists every first of the month. Those are available on Spotify and Apple, just things I'm listening to throughout the month some snapshots of uh some tracks that are making it into my dj sets as well as uh featuring some local portland organ tracks as well so links for those things in the episode notes hope everybody is doing well out there stoked to get into episode 347 cam spees producer engineer extraordinaire and band leader for local portland organ group night heron is on the podcast this week hung out with cam over at one of his favorite dive bars in town billy ray's tavern in north portland you might catch him over there geeking out on some pinball when he's not making amazing sounding records and i had a really good time hanging out with this dude a lot of good laughs a lot of good tangents from cam he was a little sauced up and could be uh, tough to rein in at times but i think there's uh, a lot of sweet vulnerability that was captured through the conversation and i enjoyed his insight and perspective as a music producer it's very clear to me this dude loves music and is stoked about what he is doing production wise he's worked on so many of my favorite portland releases over the last few years and just creates some beautiful productions he's also got a great portland based band called night heron whom i will feature some tunes from throughout the conversation and always a killer cast of musicians that make up their live performances speaking of live performances they are playing this friday at doug fur here in portland one of my favorite venues in town as a part of a co-headlining show with Isabeau Vayu Walker on February 17th. Past guest of the podcast, Love Jones, is opening up the show with a beat set. It's going to be really dope, and it's a show I've been looking forward to for the past few months. So we will get into my conversation with uh, Cam momentarily. First five minutes of audio in this conversation is uh, not the best, but as time went on, my guy Cam got better about speaking into that mic and quality improvement. Proves and hopefully it's got some extra charm of just listening, being a fly on the wall to our chat at the bar. If you're uh, new to the show, please go back, check out previous conversations. Last week, I switched it up and did a playlist episode. Stoked on how that one came out. Just listening to some tracks and the artists featured recorded some commentary to those tracks for me to chop up. That one featured Small Million, who just put out this amazing track called The Overkill, their first new music in like five years. They got a show coming up on March 4th here in town at Polaris Hall. The before-mentioned Love Jones, who is opening that Night Heron Isabeau show this Friday, is featured on that episode as well. And Chip Nail Polish and Good Grief also included on that one. And the previous week, I was in conversation with the incredible Julia Logue. Really enjoyed that chat as well. Appreciate the support and people continuing to tune in. And don't forget, whether past guest of the show or loyal listener, new listener, 
Can't stress the importance of those iTunes reviews if you have a couple minutes. Really helpful with raising visibility. And if you are a Portland, Oregon local, I hope to see you this Friday at Doug Fur. And we're going to get into this one, episode 347. Cam Spees from Night Heron on the podcast. All the links for Cam and Night Heron will be in the episode notes as well as a Spotify playlist of a bunch of records that Cam has worked on over time. We're going to kick it off with one of my favorite tracks from the 2021 Night Heron LP. It's called Instructions for the Night. You can find it on uh, on vinyl or all the streaming services. And this is a track called Dreams. Let's do the damn thing. shut up man yeah it's just like i don't know we're done with uh, it no it's not even a, it's not even malicious it's just like they just like the all energy disappears from their face you know? <laughs> and you just got it all yeah just ready like, to uh... <laughs> well i'm ex- certainly excited to uh to talk music with you i uh you know we've never met in person but i i'm definitely been like aware of the work you've been doing you know, cool. with all the the records that have been coming out and the Night Heron music that um, is yours as well. And I've seen Night Heron a couple times. My first time was actually seeing you guys at last Tree Fort. So it took me going shit. to Boise to see your, port, the, your Portland uh, band. The like uh, Mad Alchemy Light Show yeah. room. The Masonic Temple. people were like laying down on the ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is the best possible outcome for our one of our shows. That place was wild, but I don't think it was... It wasn't until today, man, when I was going through that playlist that you sent me. I didn't realize how many records you've worked on that are like my favorite really? tracks to come out of Portland. Like Ooh, thinking about specifically yeah. like that new Constellations jam, oh, Hot yeah. Blooded. Like that's a track that I have, uh, 
maybe like played more than anything else last year as far as Portland stuff. Welcome and to the rest of the world. Dude. It's got like 12 million plays or some shit. It's yeah. crazy. It's amazing. And it's been in like most of my, my DJ sets. Yeah. Like, and since. they're just like the sweetest people ever. And they'd never like put out any music until that track. And then I got like, it's got like, I don't know, 12 million, 13 million plays. I don't yeah. Know. But yeah, I've, uh, you know, definitely familiar with, with, uh, a lot of the music that you've recorded, but would love cool. to just like set things, you know, from the beginning maybe, and just like talk to you about what your kind of entry point was into, to playing music and, and just kind of like Ooh, getting hooked in to go. it before you, you started like diving into the engineering and producing side. Yeah. Cause I remember this like very specific moment of, uh, I moved to San Francisco and I got a job in landscape architecture, which is what I studied in college. And I specifically wanted to work on music. And so I went to the Apple store and I was like, I need a laptop or something. And I got like lessons in logic at the Apple store, which was a program. I feel like it's a bygone era. Like they used to offer this and they're like, wait a second, we can't afford to do that. <laughs> like, what are we doing? That was really dumb. You can't just spend time showing people yeah, software. Like a genius would just like hang out with me for an hour uh, and teach me logic. And I'm like, I paid like $99 for this shit. Are you, are you kidding me? Uh, but I learned it that way. And I was like, specifically, like, I don't want to be an engineer. Yeah. I want to write songs. I don't care about learning the craft of engineering or producing or whatever. And then I started doing it a bunch and I was like, Oh, actually I kind of do like this. <laughs> it's lovely. <laughs> These nibbly bits. And so I like, I definitely caught the bug. And then every single project I worked on, I would just like, like, what are you doing over there? Like, how are you getting that sound? Yeah. Like, what's that thing do? And so I became just like very curious about all of it. And at a certain point, it's like, oh yeah, I do want to do this. <laughs> so like growing up, were you playing much music? I definitely had uh, a few smatterings of like rock and roll bands. Like we played the high school auditorium. We played Blur's song two and we played Smashing Pumpkin today for our eighth grade class in the auditorium at West Sylvan Middle School. What's up, holler? <laughs> and uh, then we had like a rap group in high school, Lincoln High School. And what was like the first instrument you picked up? Guitar, or no, sorry, uh, violin. Okay, did you have like musical family? Anybody else in, in the fan playing music? Like what was the influence of you jumping on violin? Yeah, that's a weird choice, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, probably just pressure from... We had, like, actually in my elementary school, Chapman Elementary Holler, uh, had a really good music program. And it was cool that at the time, like, our public schools weren't having their, like, music programs gutted like they are now. But um, I was fortunate enough to have one of those programs that was, like, really good at the time. And so I learned violin. 
And then I was like, oh, yeah, guitars are so much cooler <laughs> than violins. <laughs> uh, so I started playing guitar. Was it pretty early on that you, like, wanted to write music of your own opposed to just, mm. like, learning how to shred and, and whatnot? Yeah, I just, like, didn't care about learning scales or whatever. It was, like, never interesting to me. And I feel like that is kind of a personality type within music. Like, people want to, like, be instrumentalists and people want to, like, write songs or people want to produce there's like all there there's a whole spectrum and it all kind of like contributes to one bigger paradigm but yeah. yeah i think that's like always the maybe like the interesting thing of like getting to talk to somebody like you who gets to work with like a bunch of different musicians you know you're not like just working with your group or the people mm -hmm. you're writing music with but you really get like that insight on like the process and and the type of people like you're saying like some people just want to write songs and some people want to get like technically like amazing on their instrument yeah exactly i just remember in high school specifically there were like these stoner dudes who would like pick up a strat and they'd be like i can fucking shred in six months <laughs> and i'm like i don't how did you do that like i don't care <laughs> about blues licks you know like which also like no shade you know yeah. I think that's cool when people can do that and have that kind of concentration. It's like a very specific skill set and I respect it a lot. It's never been my thing. Yeah. Cause I just, I don't know, ADHD or whatever it is. Like, I'm like, what about this? And like, what about that thing over there? And like, <laughs> you know, I can't just sit down and play a scale for like two hours. Yeah. But I think it all contributes to the canon, you know, it's like, that's great. <laughs> Yeah, so, like, early on, were you, like, writing lyrics and stuff? Like, were you often the, the front person for these, these groups that you were involved in? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, the band that played the auditorium in eighth grade, I feel like I was, like, a main orchestrator of it. You know, I didn't sing the songs or whatever, but... And then just immediately, like, I always went into this this place of, like kind of like directing a project you know so like leadership tendencies but not necessarily good leadership skills <laughs> <laughs> what, what did that look like, like early on well yeah just like not being able to manage personalities in a band very well or whatever dude you know? i think that's so fucking hard when you're younger too. oh yeah you know like it's no it's, it's hard, hard now, now yeah. but i think it's even harder when you're younger to like understand oh, yeah. everybody's needs and like figure out how to properly communicate with Definitely. people, you know? And especially when you're younger, you're just like, this is what I need right now. Yeah. And what the fuck? Why aren't you here for it? Yeah. You know? Why isn't everybody on board with this idea? Like what, why would you not want to understand my vision right now? Yeah. <laughs> Was there always a, like a curiosity to keep picking up different instruments? Like after you, kind of like got comfortable with guitar were you eager to jump on other things like in some way yes but it was mainly just to execute a bigger vision right yeah. so like i played in a band in san francisco and i would like i was gradually learning a little bit more about recording and software and the different instruments and like signal chains and like getting this very broad understanding so I was like, oh, yeah, how do you, like, 
play a bass, you know, yeah. or how do you play a keyboard to like elicit this particular sound? Trying and to then, like understand it from like a performance aspect of like how to get yeah, like how is this being perceived by an audience? So how do I play it to like get that tone out of it? And I feel like that same thing is so relevant in what I do now because like it to me it doesn't really matter if you're like really good at an instrument it's like are you getting the emotion out of that instrument are you playing the right notes at the right are you playing the right amount of not notes yeah at the right time and more often than not that doesn't really have to do with technical skill or like chops it just has to do with like taste yeah and vision or whatever it is you know so learning the instruments was never a concern of mine i guess you know it's like i want to be proficient enough to be able to execute the vision for this like broader scope yeah i would imagine too like if you have an idea for a song you're working on with somebody it's nice to be able to like pick up that instrument and be like yeah, yeah. i'm thinking like this totally and even totally. if you're not the one playing it you can at least put that idea out there. Well, yeah, and exactly. And like being able to voice a chord on a keyboard, like I'm not a keyboardist. I don't know how to play the piano for shit, but like I can voice a chord on a keyboard, you know? Yeah. Uh, and to me, that's like the tool to get to the eventual goal. Like I don't need to be a great keyboardist to be yeah. able to execute this vision but maybe we need to bring in the keyboardist like at a certain point and almost never do we actually have to do that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> did there always seem to be like, uh, some sort of like gravitation, even when you like, before you got deep into the recording process and like understanding software and stuff, like, was there a gravitation towards the technical side of things? Like, were you kind of like a gearhead by any means or like, I feel like there always was this pull to like produce songs. Like I would hear songs as a kid and be like, oh man, I wish that would have hit better (laughs) on that, on that particular bar, I would have done something different, you know? And like, I remember thinking to myself, like maybe I'd produce records someday, but like, how do you, (laughs) come on, like there's a, how would I do that? Like what even is that? And now I'm like, oh shit, what's up? sixth grade me (laughs) (laughs) listening to ACDC on your like classic rock radio being like I wish that would have like slapped a little harder there yeah when you were first getting into it was it was there a pretty steep learning curve for you or did things seem to make sense pretty early on it definitely seemed like a different language entirely I was like like just the most basic logic light thing that I was like learning at the Apple store. I feel like I could not follow at all. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, you're good. You're good. (laughs) What he was talking about. But then once you understand signal flow and like the whole studio is kind of like, you know, it's a very intuitive, uh, like tree of signal once you understand the basics of it, it's like, oh yeah, how could you not understand that? But until you learn it, it's a foreign language. Yeah. 
But then once I started to learn it, I was like, oh, and then there's all these little subtleties on this branch and this branch and this leaf. And then it becomes very addictive. <laughs> kind of like pinball. Yeah, just like uh, once you figured figured like out your your flow of like how to work, you just immerse yourself in, in that world kind of. Totally. And there's this whole thing with like the learning curve where you're like, oh, yeah, it's all about all this cool gear and stuff. And then you're like, no, that doesn't really matter. It's just those are tools. And then you're like, oh, yeah, songwriting those are all like chord changes are tools in the toolkit. It's not even about like reinventing anything. Like I'm not inventing gear to record. I'm not inventing chord changes. I'm just like taking the gear and the chord changes that I need for this particular emotion. And I'm applying it through that lens, you know? And it's like this endless, beautiful, well, of information that is all serving a purpose of creating something that's evocative emotionally. Yeah. And I think we forget that so often we just think of things like, Oh, I used a strat. <laughs> Use a fucking Fender 70 strat, bro. Or whatever it is like this compressor that this tube compressor, like that shit doesn't matter. Does it make does it communicate the emotion? Yeah. Maybe. Well, it's, it's funny too, like watching, like somebody could pick up the same guitar and same like amp rig and two different people can make that sound completely different, right? Exactly. I'm so glad you brought that up. Because <laughs> I was just like, I was just thinking about the fact that almost every band I record, I use the same exact mics in the same positions. And it always sounds completely different. Every drummer sounds completely different. Same exact fucking mic, same preamps, same signal chains. Maybe there's like one little tweak. I'm like, oh yeah, what if I add this like bus compressor in here and like, oh cool, that sounds good. But just like barely touching it sounds completely different. It's not about the drums. <laughs> it's not about the fucking preamps. It's not about the mics. It's about the person sitting behind the drum kit. That's it. And that's the same exact thing with any piece of music. And that's why I think I'm just going to launch into this. Let's do it. When people talk about like being original, like we're human conductors of emotion, tradition. Like we've learned everything we know musically from other people. Why are we trying to make original music? take that piece of music that you think is beautiful and like make it your own, you know? Yeah. I feel like it's an obstacle to all these people trying to be like, no, that, I need to be original. I can't do that thing because somebody already did it. That's the whole point. Why? That's the whole reason why you should do it <laughs> is somebody already did it. Like we're human beings. We're passing on stories to each other musically. And that's super fascinating to me. And we can't, deny this uh i feel like when you ignore the fact that you learned the shit that you're trying to make from somebody else you're just being delusional you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i tend to usually like when influences really shine through exactly on records and and i think sometimes 
it can feel maybe too unoriginal in some ways where it's just like, eh, this just kind of feels like a blatant ripoff. But like when totally, they, when they come feel through like, in the right way. Totally. And I just feel like how often does that actually happen? You know, I think even if you try to make something that somebody already made, you're going to end up making your version of it. And that's the whole beauty of it. Like in the sixties, they were all trying to make hits. So they were all playing each other's songs, right. you know, right. nobody was like, Oh wait, that's not my song. I need to not play this. You know, they're like, wait, I'm trying to make a fucking <laughs> hit. I'm trying to get paid. And those were the beautiful versions of those songs that we remember is when somebody was playing somebody else's song. Yeah. And that's cool. That's canon. That's tradition. On that tip, will you like, as far as your own music that you're composing, will you ever just like learn a cover song just to like get a deeper understanding of like the formula to it? I haven't ever done it for that purpose, but every time I do it, I, that thing is what I learn. Yeah. I'm like, Oh yeah. That was such a simple chord change. Why right, have right. I been like <laughs> trying to make everything so complicated all the time for originality's sake? Yeah, it's amazing. I just like, for some reason, I have a hard time getting myself to learn covers. But once I do, I'm like, that was such a valuable lesson. Why don't I do this more often? Yeah. <laughs> you know? What about like on the flip side, like when people are kind of... Uh you know, reference tracks are often probably pretty important to you when you're working on a new, like with a new band or an artist. Like, is there a lot of uh, kind of breaking down that sound for you when you get those reference tracks? Or like, what is your uh, your move there or approach to, to kind of capturing what they're hearing? I mean, you know, obviously my taste is like a filter. So I'm... I'm going to be like, this is what you're trying to do. And this is what you're actually doing. Or maybe they're just like spot on, which happens. But I feel like everything, again, everything exists within a context. So every thing that some artist does or gesture they make, it comes from a place that is meaningful to them. And it's usually through that lens of another artist. And so I embrace that and I'm like, don't fight, you know, like don't fight something that may seem like it's a rip off cause you're not ripping them off probably. And often they'll like send me their influences, you know, and that's helpful to the process and I can hear sonic direction through that, which I think is really valuable to, a, to a project. And like, what were your early like opportunities to record with bands? Was it just friends that wanted to make records and you kind of got to cut teeth like that? Or were you kind of thrown in the room with strangers that wanted to make music and kind of figure out your process amidst all that? I mean, th like my formative recording experiences were like just me in my bedroom, but then also once uh, I moved to Portland and started Radiation City with Lizzie, that was like, that's how I cut my teeth. I learned everything from that, you know, trying different things, not knowing anything, learning from other engineers, like when we would actually go into legit studios. And I was just like, I want to learn everything. Like, <laughs> what is that knob? What did you do with that? Tell me. 
And then you're like, oh yeah, there's no rules. <laughs> <laughs> but like having all of the background knowledge is super valuable because it just avails you of the tools to get to that point. Like I can just get there so much faster now that I'm like, you know what? Why does this bass sound weird? You know, in the past I would have been like, I have no fucking idea. But now I'm like, oh, maybe it needs more 100 hertz. Let's turn this EQ up. Like, let's take the compression off a little bit. And that shit's endless. <laughs> and ultimately, it just, you know, contributes to the, to the process. You know, we we're, were talking, like, before we jumped on the mics, just about your desire, though, to, like, produce mm -hmm. and not just be the person in the room pushing the buttons. Was that, like, there from the get-go? as well I think so yeah I mean I've never been like so meticulous um clearly <laughs> <laughs> I've never been <laughs> so meticulous that I'm like more about the engineering side than I am about the creative side yeah so it's always been my goal to like get into the song and be like what is it about this song that is meaningful and what do people want to hear and what's not being communicated? You know, and again, it's like infinite variables, right? But I think the things that make... Ooh, girl. Ah, don't get me started. The things that make a great song are, are also infinite variables. But like things that are, feel very concrete to us when we're listening to a song, it's like, oh, that melody is beautiful. That groove is like undeniable. Mm, I just want to like lay back. The bass line is like memorable. The lyrics are memorable. Like there are just so many different components of a song that can make like, not just like a good song or a good recording, but like a great song that you remember, you remember forever. And it was crazy. I was listening. What was it? There was something that had the most basic ass bass line ever. And I was like, that is an instantly recognizable song. It's like, ding, 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 some shit like that. I was like, I will, that's one song in the tens of thousands of songs in the pop canon. That's one song. I know that song. What is that fucking song? That's crazy to me. <laughs> right? Like, what are the variables involved in that? Tempo, groove, like tone, maybe. Notes, obviously. The notes chosen. But it's like three fucking notes. Like, how is that an instantly recognizable song? There's something about... It's magic. <laughs> There's something about music. Like, the math does not compute to that in my opinion. I'm going off. <laughs> he's gone. You? He's going he's off. Okay. He's going off. I'm hard to say. I'm going to rain it. I'm going to rain it. Is there something you feel like you can do like from the get-go of a project just as far as like creating environment to, I don't know, create this space that's going to get the best performances? Like, is it always a case-by-case -case basis and really getting to know these people that you're working with like will you kind of try to have a hang with a a band or an artist that you're working with before you even jump in the studio i think that's a, that's the hardest question you've answered or asked and that i have to answer 
because that is the one thing that has taken years to learn and there's no way to explain it. Every single band is different. And so you like me as a producer, I have to know what that band needs on an emotional level, on an intellectual level, on a musical level. And I have to be able to react in real time to their needs. If I could explain that, like that's, (laughs) that's the whole, that's the whole craft, you know, I would love, and I'm not even secretive about this stuff. I, I feel like this is about human connection as like, you know, hippie as that sounds like it's about connecting with a human being on a musical level on. So on a technical level, but most of it is emotional. Most of it is creative and there's like a, a part of it that's like, Oh, you just have to like know what a G is on the guitar or whatever. But the creative part, I can't help but think of, uh, this band Spoonbenders because they're just masters of what they do and you can feel it you can see it on stage and I don't even think they're like reinventing the wheel but they're there's something about that chemistry that is amazing and intangible and to earn a, uh, the respect of a band like that, you know, I'll go into a room and I'll be like, well, what are you trying to accomplish here? Technically speaking is what I can do for you, but here's like what we're trying to create. And that's like a, that's a transcendent level. And to like be in a room with somebody like that, who you respect so much, like me respecting them so much, and then come out of a session five days later and being like, we all love each other. Like we were saying, I love you after meeting, you know, four days ago for the first time. Yeah. I was, I was just talking to Matt Larimer yesterday. He's also Matt, Matt Larimer. Oh yeah. And, And he was just like talking about, you know, you're also just like, witnessing a lot of vulnerability like because Mm. people are expressing like their emotions through the art that you're capturing so you're also just like in that space with people so totally and earning somebody's respect in that setting you know they're spending so much fucking money on this thing that is their vision but they don't like they're like i don't know how does like what does this sound like when it's on you know a mp in an mp3 or on a cassette or whatever like how do you get this thing that i'm imagining to that format yeah and you're facilitating all of that you're like accepting all of their trust you know like it's vulnerable for you too as a as a producer to be like i'm gonna deliver your vulnerability i'm being vulnerable and delivering your vulnerability and it's like ah Dealing with everybody's levels of self-doubt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and being like, you're going to be great. And I'm like, I don't even know if uh, I'm going to be great. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm doing back here. Yeah. <laughs> How long was it before you, you felt like maybe, um, you know, I'm sure it's just like, like you're saying every experience with a different artist is going to be, 
you know, a different vibe and whatnot. And I'm sure you're always picking up on different technical things and different approaches to the way that you're producing music. But how far into it was it where you kind of maybe started feeling like pretty confident in what you were doing, where you, where you felt like you were guiding the ship in the room and you kind of knew when to be quiet, but also when to speak up during a project. That's a really good question, Dan. I'm glad you asked. Uh, that actually is a really important part of the process because like I was saying, there was, or maybe I didn't say this. I don't know who, who knows. Uh, there was a, a particular period where I was starting to record bands more regularly and I was like, I don't know, is this like, am I overstepping if I say this? Like, yeah. I don't know if I can really, and in hindsight, that would be like every 15 minutes in the studio with me, I'd be like, what if we try this there? You know, it's like, it just becomes easier as you try it more. And that was the most important thing was just being able to get that out of the way and be like, how do you talk about this in a way that's not hurting somebody's feelings? And it's a big creative decision but being able to say it in a way that's like very matter of fact, you know, yeah. like, Oh, what if we try this? I don't know. Oh, you don't want to do that? Totally fine. Yeah. You know, but also you're probably like in a lot of regards, like the most important years in the room, I feel like. So right. if, if so I chose you to make a record with totally, like I, I, I hope that you are bold enough and confident enough to be like, yo, we didn't get it. We didn't get that take. Like we're not going to be able to like chop this up and make it what you want it to be. Not even takes, but just like from the get go being like, this is what needs to happen to this record. Like the way you've been thinking about this is all wrong. You know, like not that I would ever say that to anybody, but sometimes that is the case. Like where you need to be like this thing that you're very attached to needs to go. And being able to convince somebody of that is like, I can't even think I can't even do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's hard. It's a hard thing to do. You know, people are usually pretty attached to their ideas, especially if they've spent a lot of time with them and feel like mm. this is the vision for the song. And then all of a sudden somebody else says, no, that's not it. That's not the arrangement. And if you just do this, yeah, <laughs> then you'll exactly. have your song. And they're like, oh, okay. But what I will say is the more, the more mature bands that I've worked with yeah. are almost always open to that shit. And like, ne- I never receive resistance from bands that have more experience and more maturity. Just in general, like the way they operate, the way they brand themselves like whatever it is it's usually like the newer bands and i was the same way when i was a kid i was like no this is how i wrote it yeah that's why i wrote it that way and and now producer me is like well if i'm not hearing that then are you communicating it you know are you is it an effective like you if you have to explain it to me is it a funny joke (laughs) yeah what about with like the the night heron music are you usually do you need a different sounding board like outside of yourself? Oh yeah, definitely. And I have to, even within my own process, I have to like put shit away for a long time. I have to like be very disciplined, especially on the new record. Cause I'm going to try to mix it, which is a bad idea, but <laughs> hopefully it turns out. All right. Why, why do you think that's a bad idea? Just because you're too attached to it and you're yeah. too close to it. 
So like every part that's been recorded, I want to be loud, you know, like <laughs> that can't be a thing. <laughs> but like what do you, but you obviously you think you can get the right results out of it still. I just like can't afford to have somebody else fix <laughs> okay, it. That's that's point. But also, yes, I do think I can actually, I need to pee really bad. Yeah, go ahead. Put that in the wall for the interview. <laughs> Music break. <laughs> <laughs> Your excuse to the bathroom. Um, you were telling me, you were telling me that you do think you can mix your own record and make it sound good. Oh yeah. Well, I feel like I have to at this point. It's <laughs> no choice. Well, here we go. Did you not do the last Night Hair record? This dude Rob Shelton, who's amazing, who uh, kind of came up in the Tiny Telephone, San Francisco crew and i feel like i met him there a long time ago he's in this band mirna okay yeah. it's phenomenal yeah i know who you're talking about yeah that's what's up and he's done a bunch of cool shit but he mixed it where do i start <laughs> <laughs> there was like this label in san francisco and we played this show at bunk bar and the label person was there and they're like let's sign night heron and i was like great like they're like let's spend a bunch of money and i was like let's hire rob and he was all down and then the label folded and it was like this whole thing of like fuck what just happened <laughs> that was so weird and everybody was reeling and like i was just like let's do it anyway like what do i how much does it cost it's like three thousand dollars oh my god <laughs> So he mixed that one and we did it in Oakland, which was really cool. And also it was right during the protests. Okay. Like it was like right after George Floyd's death. So it was a really intense time to be in Oakland and it was the pandemic. So nobody was like, like nobody was really allowed in the studio, but we had, I had a couple of homies come through. So we did it there. And then, he did an amazing job like the the kind of like big studio knowledge like oh yeah neve 70s neve console stem this out and we'll put it through this like beautiful bus eq and like go to the ampex like atr 102 tape deck and i know how to do that stuff like not just in a plug-in version like that shit i couldn't have done you feel like you have to like operate in a little bit of a different way when you're when you're in the room with like another producer engineer or there's just like I mean only in the sense that like we are different people and I'll be like this is what I want and they'll be like well this is what I do and I'm like oh that's interesting but maybe no or maybe like yeah let's try that yeah you know I I do feel like it's super valuable to always be 
learning other people's process. You know, every single band I work with, I'm like, teach me a new thing every time. Because if I'm not always learning, if I'm like, I just fucking can't stand this idea of like engineers who are like, this is how it's done. And like, you, that's wrong. Like somebody saying like that recording technique is wrong or that instrument is wrong or it's not hi-fi enough or whatever. I'm just like, you, you're done. <laughs> you stopped learning. <laughs> how could you do that to yourself? <laughs> <laughs> is it part of the, the problem? Like with trying to mix your own record is, is part of it. Maybe like, just the getting out of your own way with it, like having too much control over it in some ways or just spending way too much time with it. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I think it's more like knowing objectively, like what needs to pop out, especially mixing is such a technical thing and it's such a subtle thing, like knowing what needs to be voiced in the mix yeah. you know what's the thing that needs to come out in front what's the thing that needs to have this like crazy effect when you like work on the song from its inception like you can never hear that song for the first time so if I'm mixing somebody's record and they send me stems I'm like oh yeah I know exactly what this part needs like it's so obvious to me never having heard the song before to the person who created it they're fucked you know <laughs> <laughs> they can never hear that song for the first time ever yeah. so well it's like even listening back to the podcast is mm. like i know where pretty much every cut is yeah exactly so like I, I did an episode today that has uh it's kind of just like a solo thing and there's a lot of commentary from other people but mm. i know exactly where every little cut is so <laughs> listening back today you I was, hear it you're just i like, can oh. i can hear it but i'm also like getting better to the point of like i know that nobody else noticed that right like totally maybe one percent of people were able to pick up on like Ooh, that breath was weird. Exactly. And then he was able to enter there with that word. <laughs> like, There was like, there was this one artist I worked with who was obsessed with mouth sounds. So like, he was like, I can't have a single mouth sound on any of my songs. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is, seems crazy. <laughs> and then we like went full surgery mode. We removed every single mouth sound. And then I listened to a Leonard Cohen song from the 60s. And I was like, the whole song is mouth sounds. It's like <laughs> more mouth sounds than anything else. There are n less notes played than mouth sounds. And I was like, I'd never noticed that before. I've heard this song a thousand times. Like there are certain things that as a creator of music, you put pr importance on Yeah. that it's like, it really is. I just thought of a whole new tangent. God damn it. So people are very focused on like making music for themselves, right? I'm just making the, I'm not making it for an audience. I'm not trying to like sell out, blah, blah, blah. Like, what are you doing if you're not like, if you're not creating music for an audience, you know? Also, that feels very narcissistic to be like, I'm only making music for myself. That's great. Also, that's very valuable. If it's therapy, I do that too. That's super valuable. But when people talk about making music 
and then putting it out into the world for people to hear, you're making music for an audience. So acknowledging your audience experience of that music is so valuable and doing it objectively is so valuable. So why do we like treat that like it's a bad thing? <laughs> I don't know. understand. It's uh, easy to, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's obviously like very cliche that everybody is their own worst critic and yeah, it's, I don't know. But also like to, to be like, Oh no, I'm not selling out. I'm not trying to make like something that people like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like intentionally <laughs> yeah. not making something. Yeah. I feel like that there's always, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll see those bands and I'm like, wow, these are really great songs or it'll be like, this is a great song. And then they'll try the thing that makes it left of center. Yeah. Just to be left of center. Yes. And it exactly. doesn't, it doesn't serve the song. And it's like, we can't all be Tom York and just turn everything, turn yeah. every beautiful moment into a fucking disaster and sabotage it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like, like that takes a very special skill. And even Tom York, I feel like is very calculated in his approach to weirdness. You yeah. know, it's not that weird. Like if we're talking about the weirdness canon, <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's not no, it's Radiohead not is like noise. very <laughs> right of center. You know? Yeah. So, you know, it's like, that's the whole thing. It has to appeal to an audience to some degree, even if it's weird shit that there's a niche weirdness mm -hmm. audience for, there's still an audience that yeah. you're playing to. And I think it's important to acknowledge that and be, embrace that. Is that what we were even talking about? I'm sorry. I'm no, I think that, that I think that a thousand you know, percent for tangent some, somehow that, that <laughs> somehow that puts us back on course cam. Let's go. <laughs> Has it always been, uh, a, like a conscious priority to you to maintain writing and producing your own music amidst working on all these other projects or is it just kind of happen? Thanks for asking, Dan. I'm glad you did. Uh, <laughs> I've realized in my, uh, my elder years that making music for myself and my own writing songs, producing my own songs is literally therapy. Like I think before it was like some, somehow like a exercise in ego or, just like trying to be cool or whatever it was, you know, when I was younger, I was like, Oh, I want to be like cool indie rock guy. <laughs> <laughs> like as much as I would never admit that. Yeah. I'm admitting it now for the world. And, uh, now it's truly cathartic. You know, it's truly therapeutic when I make music, when I play music with my band and I'm like, Oh my God, I feel so much better. It's like my weekly therapy. I'm like, oh, right. I just did that thing, and now I feel better. I don't have to. Yeah. It's not really like a complex mathematical sure. <laughs> conclusion to derive from that. So, yeah, I think at this point, that's the main reason. Yeah. Do you feel like it gets because, like, you you feel that way and like it is you know a form of therapy or a cathartic to you does it become more vulnerable as you get older 
or like has that part ever been difficult for you as far as you know sharing your music putting it out into the world i mean that's a really good question because i feel like the thing i have kind of uh tried to conquer recently is this idea of like ugly emotions that aren't cute uh to the public you know when you're like telling a story about a shitty version of yourself Mm -hmm. and you're writing a song about that like that's the ultimate vulnerability i think a lot of people can be like oh i was being so vulnerable that i was like sad about (laughs) this thing it's like that's not really that vulnerable i'm sorry like when you're really vulnerable, it's like when the shittiest version of yourself, you're telling everybody about that. I still haven't gotten there necessarily, (laughs) (laughs) but there are definitely songs like on this new album where I'm like, man, I was like bitter. I was feeling resentful. I was feeling like, fuck you for the thing you didn't do for me or like the thing you didn't appreciate that I did for you. And I put that in a goddamn song and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> that's kind of gnarly now. Yeah. Like more mature version of me, like wouldn't necessarily say that to the public, but I'm like, but if I censor that or whatever, I'm just like trying to not truly expressing that emotion. Yeah. Right? And like, I don't know, not many people are going to be able to decipher exactly what you were talking about <laughs> there. And I think one thing I dig about, that's true. The night hair and shit is that, like, the vocals are just another layer of instrument to me. Mm. You know, like, I pay attention to, like, more of the melodies than the lyrics, I guess, cool. with, the, with it. Yeah, exactly. That's how I hear music, you know? When I hear something for the first time, I'm like, cool melody, cool groove, like maybe third or fourth listen i'm like oh the lyrics oh said that thing interesting but usually the initial response is that thing so that's what i want to communicate when i'm making music too yeah i really love that holding out track that's (laughs) one of my favorites off the last record really hell yeah. yeah cool is that it feels like you're able to really like quickly create a world with what you're doing sonically and like I'll go back to that hot blooded track 
I feel like there's no fucking ceiling for that thing. Like it's just, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And like, I feel like so much of your music that you're working on often like has that big sound and it it translates maybe a little bit differently from like project to project. And Mm. it's cool to kind of hear it in like within the different genres of like what you're working on. Like it maybe sounds much different with like, the spoon benders than it does with something maybe more straight ahead with like Haley Johnson stuff. Totally. But that's the whole thing. It's like all of that stuff follows the same principle of, and when you're talking about a ceiling or getting bigger, the way to make stuff feel like it's getting bigger is to subtract on the front end. And so few people do it. It's crazy to me. Like making records all the time, like, okay, I get it. Cause like I have the unique vantage point of being able to see this but like it's crazy to me how people don't play less notes (laughs) all the time everyone's always playing all the notes all the fucking time trying to flex bro (laughs) bro come on that's what i'm saying it's like all you have to do and even when i pick up an instrument i'm like i totally get it i just want to play all the notes (laughs) fuck you cam (laughs) but I'm like that's all you have to do is play less notes or like play in a lower register and then play in this like you want this to lift don't make that thing louder make the other thing quieter it's such an easy principle and so few people do it all of us should just play a little quieter you know (laughs) everyone (laughs) Everyone, shut up, you and the lifted Toyota fucking pickup truck. (laughs) Turn your engine down, bro. (laughs) Because your chorus is going to sound that much mightier, I promise. and saw that she was playing with you yeah she's like one of the best people i know amazing musician like very responsible human being (laughs) all these things that you don't normally expect from musicians but yeah it's just been cool and also like the thing i love about this project is being able to tap into so many different 
corners of the music scene of people I've known over the years and be like, you're my favorite bass player, Grace. And Haley, I love your voice. Come on over, you know, like, let's all just make music together because I get to talk to you occasionally, you know? Yeah. So I feel very fortunate in that sense that people want to, like, play in my band. I'm like, really? You still want to do this even after all the <laughs> dumb shit I've done. <laughs> well, that's also cool that you kind of also get like that firsthand experience with people in the studio a lot to maybe like, yeah, make your decisions to cherry based pick. on that to be like, Oh, well girl. I know that this person's going to like crush. Cause I spent a week in the studio with totally. him. I totally can do this. Yeah. It feels, uh, like a little spoiled. If I'm being <laughs> honest, I'm like, my favorite keyboard player is over there right now for a week <laughs> and I get to like understand how they work. And like, to me, the biggest thing about being in a band with somebody is personality, you know, do your fucking energies get along as hippie as that sounds like, especially at you, this point, man, as we get older, yeah, there's no time to like fucking make, make things with people you don't want to hang out are with. Are you kidding me? Yeah. No, I can't do that. Like I can't even make my own record, let alone like fuck around jamming with somebody. I don't know. Yeah. You know, like when people ask me to jam, I'm like, Oh man, do I have to tell you what it's like to be a 40 year old man with a four year <laughs> four year old daughter? Do I have to explain this to you? Like, no, I'm not going to jam with you. There's no time for jam. I've never even anymore, met you man. before. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even have time to make my own record. <laughs> yeah. That shit's crazy. Just like trying to figure out how to finish music. <laughs> how to finish anything. How to finish. Well, because I love finishing music. Like, it's one of my favorite things. It's the only thing I can finish. Sorry, I'm kind of lit. So I'm just You're going great. off. You're great. <laughs> it's perfect. Fuck yeah. This is what podcasts are for. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I so figured I would just lit. get myself ready for a podcast. Go off, you know? Do you want something? You don't. I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Do you mind if I go? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. there's a lot of creative parallels for yourself when you're working on a record with somebody recording engineering producing versus writing a record of your own like does it tap into pretty similar the one thing i will say is i am so much better at organizing and streamlining and 
being generally good at producing when I'm working on somebody else's shit. When I'm when it's my own shit, I'm just like, I don't know, eight songs. Which one do I even? Ah, oh, fuck. I'm gonna go watch TV. Like, like I can't even. It's so dumb. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I like. I'm much better at managing other people's projects than yeah. this, like my own. Yeah. Why is that? That's like, why can't I just, I try to be as objective as possible with all these other projects. Why can't I just be objective about my own human mind? <laughs> maybe it's like an accountability, <laughs> maybe it's an accountability thing, you know, yeah. it's like you're, you know, yeah. you're attached to the, this project with these other people. So you're not letting anybody down yeah. by yourself oh, if you're like just totally. fucking up your own thing. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah, like if I'm if somebody's paying, like if I could pay myself, maybe that's the <laughs> the way that I make a good good timely you just record. Make <laughs> yeah. like, I have to like bank transfer record. <laughs> it's like you don't get this nice paper, sweet check until you finish this song, Cam. That's awesome. Shut up, Cam. <laughs> Fucking shut up, Dad. <laughs> yeah, that might <laughs> that might be a thing. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I have gotten better at it, though. Like, and part of it is just, well, first of all, smoking weed, if I'm being honest. It is the best uh, creative motivator that I've ever had in my life. Because I just like, I want to work on shit. I want to, like, yeah. make stuff. I hear you. Which is not to say that it's the best way to finish a record. But it is a good way to, if I'm having slumps or I'm not yeah. feeling creative, it's like a great way to just be like, oh yeah, cool. Like I want to listen to this again with a new perspective. Yeah. Or maybe have like a sober take and a stone take on oh, yeah. something and, and just kind of. I mean, most of the, most of the record that I worked on was not like high. But then occasionally when I'm listening to stuff high, I'm like, oh, cool. What if I did that? <laughs> like, what if I just tried yeah. that and then I'll make a note of it and then forget about it and come back to it and be like, oh, that's a good idea. Or like, maybe that doesn't work. I, I feel like it, it really is just hard to retain objectivity about your own art. And so sometimes weed is good because it just changes. Like it instantly changes your perspective about how something sounds. Yeah. Like, as soon as you fucking, <laughs> what's up, dude? It's dude, like, change, bro. oh, dude, this fucking chorus hits like that. You know, like, it's as so cliche funny. as it sounds, it really does sound different to your ears. You know, it sounds different to your brain. Yeah, it's crazy that it can do that, like, so quickly. Yeah. And to be able to trust that also is tricky, because sometimes you have bad ideas yeah. when you're stoned. But like, I think just being at this point, the sort of apex of my recording experience thus far, at least, you know, it's like I've seen enough of different components of this and like how they work to be like, oh, what if we did try that? And then to try something and be like egoless about it and be like, that didn't work. Gone forever. Yeah. No problem to kind of streamline the process yeah. and get it to a place where I'm like, 
that shit did work. That didn't work. I can hear that more objectively because I've experienced this on other people's records or whatever it is. And just be able to like move the process along and not get hamstrung. Because that's the hardest thing when you're making your own shit. Like, how do you even make decisions unless somebody else is being like, good, bad, no. Yes. (laughs) Bad, no. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Like... How do you do that? Yeah. Well, like when you're a sociopath, (laughs) when you're writing songs, like before you've, you know, put together a final mix of something of your own or like even a final demo, do you have like that circle of people that you like to bounce it off of to, to get that outside perspective? Yeah. I mean, in the band mainly, but like most of that process is internal at this point. Cause I'll like, I'll send shit to the band, but like, yeah. I won't hear back most of the time. <laughs> we're like, sounds great. And I'm like, no, but tell me what you think. <laughs> and they're like, uh, that's awesome. What if we did that one thing? So like one thing maybe we'll, yeah. and then I have some other people where I'll be like, what about track order? But most of the time it's hard to, <laughs> and that brings me back full circle to, what I feel like what I do most of is being really objective about like what is working and what's not working about a record or like something an artist is doing. I'm just like, you don't have this kind of honest feedback in your life. Nobody around you is like telling you like, what if you change the bridge to this thing? You know, maybe the band is, but they're all part of the process. So they're not objective. Like me as an outside observer i can hear that shit for the first time with like a mind that's thinking about like what's gonna make this the best song not just like i don't know like what is a song (laughs) (laughs) or or like i don't know i'm thinking about compressors or you know whatever the yeah i feel like this is the most global possible perspective and so now i'm trying to bring that to my own music And I feel like I can actually kind of do that because I just put it away for long enough. (laughs) Like, I don't even know what that song is. What is that shit? Yeah. And then it comes back. I'm like, Oh, okay. That slaps. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I believe in you, Cam. I believe that you can, I believe you can mix your own record and make a great record. You're doing it with everybody else's music. Danceable presents. You're doing it with everybody (laughs) else's music. I think you can, you can do it with your own. Yeah, I think it is possible. Like, I was really skeptical, especially after that first record, and mainly because when Rob was mixing it and we were spending all this money, we are doing it through this beautiful Neve console, and I was just like, I don't know, is this better? I can't hear it. Mm. And I was listening on my, like, shitty Super Forester, like, 1996 Super Forester speakers. And I was like, it doesn't sound like all these other mastered tracks that are on Spotify. <laughs> and then I got home and I was like, oh, yeah, he fucking killed it. <laughs> he just, like, I, there's no way I could have done that without all the shit. You know, it's like, at this point, maybe I can. But it was cool to be able to value the subtlety of an art like that and like even though it to me in the moment felt like maybe there weren't these like 
broad strokes or moves that were happening. It was like, this craft is so detailed and so hard. <laughs> and so like to be good at it, you have to be so fucking restrained. Often it's just about not doing something. Just like writing a song or arranging a song. Or playing a bunch of notes like yeah, you're talking about. That's what I'm saying. Like when you're mixing a record or when you're producing a record, more often than not, it's about doing less. Say less, bruh. You know? Yeah. And nobody can do that from experience. Like <laughs> working with bands, nobody can play less notes. Nobody's like, wait, I feel like I'm playing too many notes. Maybe I should play less notes. I'm like, takes another if person. somebody said that, I would just be like, I quit forever. Yeah, I'm done. Like I'm out of here. Mission I love you. You get to, you get to do this now. <laughs> How do you feel about people sitting in the room while you're mixing? Uh, generally I discourage people from doing it. I would never tell somebody not to do it, but just from like, if you're the artist and it's your song and you listen to me, like EQ a kick drum for 15 minutes and then like mix a snare for 20 more minutes and then like bring up the guitars and EQ that shit and like maybe switch the fucking stereo field. And like, as soon as you get to the point where it's actually like a listenable mix, you can't hear that song anymore. You're not a, there's no way you're an objective observer of that song yeah. at that point. I just think it's a bad idea, but I also really love it when band members are like, I want to learn about mixing. I'm like, yes, let me yeah. tell you that feels everything <laughs> that I know, which is not that much. You like that though? Having the opportunity to like, just kind of share what you've learned. Yeah, along the totally. Way? I mean, everything I've ever learned was from somebody else. So if I was like, no, you can't have that. That'd be really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I could also see like the situation where you're, you're like, I'm actually just trying to get this record done for yeah. you. And I don't <laughs> no, totally. have an extra two hours in this session to kind of like break down what frequencies I'm tapping yeah. into for this, this no, kick drum. No, that's actually a really good point. But if they were doing that, then I would charge them for that. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. you know, they're so, using their like, own time. I think there are some people who charge like by song. Mm -hmm. And if somebody came in and was like punishing me the whole time, while I was mixing their song and I was doing a flat rate, I'd be like, bro, <laughs> let's do this separately. We'll just like make it a lesson. But, uh, but that hasn't really happened. Is there any like disciplines that you've developed for yourself as far as like honing in your recording and producing skills? Like you talked earlier about not getting like, complacent or kind of comfortable in using the same techniques all the yeah. time. So like where I mean, are you usually picking up new skills at this point in what you're doing? I think the biggest one is like not having e an ego about stuff. Like if I'm like, I'm convinced of this idea, like you guys are fucking up this song by not doing this thing. And they're like, no, we really like this thing. And I'll be like, okay, you're my client. You I respect you. I spoke my piece. I'm not going to force you to do that. And then usually if they're that convinced about it, it ends up being dope. And I'm like, 
I just learned something new. What's up? Now I get to take that to my next project. So like this idea that you're like, nobody's always right. Mm -hmm. What the fuck? Who thinks that? Donald Trump, maybe, (laughs) (laughs) you know, idiots like that. Like if you're not constantly questioning your own knowledge base, like how are, how are you ever going to improve? How are you ever going to continue to get better at your craft? Or just being like rooted in something isn't always, that's not always a good thing. Yeah. Your ideas should change maybe, or your techniques should possibly evolve. Yeah. Learn some shit from somebody else. And like, maybe you learn a technique that you won't necessarily always employ, but like, that's a cool thing that I didn't think about. Like I'm always trying to expand my brain. So maybe that's a thing I will think about now moving forward. Speaking of expanding your brain, is there a record that you have worked on that maybe surprised you on the end result where you're like, maybe like, Oh, these songs are cool in the beginning. And then when it was finished, you were like, fuck man, I, I can't believe this is the the results of this. The first thing that comes to mind is, uh, the, this band called the saxophones. Okay. And I've recorded every single one of their records. Somehow I feel like I got very fortunate. They were this like very, um, anomalous band where they had like not played very many shows and we did like a three song EP and it was really fun. I was like, recording one of my first records at that studio where I work now. And they just sent it out to some blogs and like this blog in the UK picked it up and then they got signed to this label in the UK. Like what of a three song EP? It was insane. Like I've never seen that happen before in my life or since. And the thing that they did that I like was always fighting against. And I'm always like, why do I always fight against this is just like, again, pulling back like, no, that's too much. Why would you have a snare drum there? Are you kidding me? That's so aggressive. The snare drum. I was like, what? You can't have a snare drum at all in the whole song. Okay. I was like, I'll trust you. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, Oh, that was so badass. No snare drum, <laughs> you know, like the restraint that they have is unlike any other band I've ever worked with. And it's that unique. That's all you have to do is not do more stuff. <laughs> Keeps going back to that. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. What about for your, yourself overall, man? Like, where do you, where do you feel like you see like the most growth in, your style of producing and engineering since you maybe got your feet under you. Honestly, just being confident in myself has taken, has been an epic journey. Like I spent my entire life until very recently just doubting myself and been like, why would this person think I'm cool or like whatever it is, you know, think I'm worthy of recording their project or being their friend or like that was always a background radiation for me when I was interacting with people. And so the biggest growth for me is just being like, Oh, 
I don't have to worry about that anymore. I can just be confident in my abilities and what I've learned and what I've seen and look at that more objectively. And I know I'm not the best, but like, doesn't, who the fuck is the best, you know? <laughs> just be great. Yeah. Well, you're doing something right, man. Cause like before we got on the mics, you were talking about how you've just been like, grateful to like work on a lot of like all these projects where you like really love the music or like really dig what you're working on. And I think that's just like a testament to what you're doing. You know, like people are coming to you because they enjoy Mm. what they're hearing and like, they believe you can bring that sound out of like their project as well. I would think. And I can't imagine you're working with too many people that you don't want to work with that at this point. Like, not really. I feel very fortunate in that, in that sense that I don't have to, uh, like work on projects that I don't love. And yeah. also, you know, a big part of that is again, just like forcing myself to get out of my awkward teenage body and like mindset and be like, I'm going to talk to people. And then you just do it enough. And then yeah. I'm like, Oh cool. I actually have fun talking to people, even though it makes me uncomfortable yeah. in my <laughs> reptilian skin you know like <laughs> and then being like the spoon benders are cool as fuck i could never record them and then talking to them and be like oh we love each other <laughs> like it's real you know it doesn't have to be this insurmountable feat and ultimately it's just about getting along and like understanding what you you know like i'm i don't know the gear better than 20,000 other engineers out there, but like I am the one person who got to make that Spoonbenders record. You know, why is that? That's not the gear. (laughs) (laughs) Right on, man. Well, like I said, I think the, like all the records you make just seem to create this very cool world and they're super enjoyable to listen to. I always feel like, uh, everything just like feels like it, it, it belongs together. You know, it doesn't ever feel like one thing is hanging outside of the other. Like that slow corpse record you did. Oh, I I don't know what's happening with that band anymore these days, but I, I I love that. I mean, that that record record is good. Amazing dude. And also like credit where credit is due. They brought a lot of the stuff into the studio and we did like two days of production where I was like, what if we like try to replace this sound with this? Honestly, I would say like 85% of that record was done by them already, and I just mixed it. And like, they're fucking musical geniuses. They're, sorry, they're not pop, they're not musical geniuses, they're pop geniuses. Like, (laughs) their choices are so tasty, the melodies are so good, the songs are so good. Everything about that was like super well crafted. Yeah. And that's the hard thing, like that, like I'm saying, like, it's so hard to be able to do that on your own, especially if you live in fucking Medford or Ashland or whatever the fuck. <laughs> like, how do you do? How do you have any objectivity? Yeah, there's not in the a lot, mountains not a big in Medford. Board out there. <laughs> but yeah, man, I'll put that. I'll put the link to that Spotify playlist in the episode notes, that one that you sent me, so people can check out all the stuff that you've worked on and I'm, I'm stoked to hear I need to oh. update that also there's some new shit that's come out 
stoked to hear all this night hair and music you've been working on. Yeah, here. I'll send you the record. Hell you yeah. want to hear it right Hell now? Yeah. I want to hear it right now. We're going we're gonna to play. The last play hour it. of this yeah. is just going to be an exclusive. But um, before we wrap up, I want to play the episode out with uh, the newest Night Heron single, which is a collab with Seance Crasher. This Pitchfork Ooh. review song is an absolute banger. Uh, talk to me about your collaboration with Seance Crasher on this one. I will in a minute, but first I have to say that I got this like, <laughs> I'm not gonna name names, but this writer that I was talking to about some other shit was like, that's so cool that you got a pitchfork review article. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, honey, dude, I'm, I'm so pumped that you named that song. That is so good. <laughs> Especially cause the whole thing was like, this would be funny. Cause it's like pitchfork review, ha cha cha cha, like a dance number or whatever, like a theater number. And <laughs> We were also kind of hoping that Pitchfork would actually review yeah. the song. They didn't. <laughs> it's fucked up, Pitchfork. <laughs> you named a song after them and they still didn't review <laughs> yeah. it. Come on, what do we got to do? Uh, but yeah. So Kevin and I have been, especially during the pandemic, we were, I mean, I just like have such deep respect for that dude as a songwriter, Kevin from Seance Crasher. And like a songsmith, like for somebody who is not a recording studio professional, he has such a deep knowledge of so many pieces of gear that I'm like, how do you even know this? That's crazy. I do this shit every day. And I like some of the stuff that you know is like exactly what I know. Like how did, what the fuck? And, uh, he's also very meticulous about choices and like, Ah, that drum machine sample is not quite right. Like, let's keep looking. I'm just like, oh, you're right. So I was working on the Sounds Crasher record, and then we started to do these, like, collaborative tracks that were kind of Night Heron, a little bit Sounds Crasher. And that was one of the ones that sort of rose to the top. And we still have, like, ten more that just need to actually get made because it's hard to make time for shit. <laughs> yeah. Is that also just like one of those situations where like, once you get to work with somebody closely like that, you, you take away a lot into like oh, yeah. your future productions. And like, I, I would say like, I don't know what the percentage exact percentage is. I want but exact like, percentage. Yeah. Count. Like 32.5% of night Aaron is Kevin Raffin. Like he inspired me immeasurably into what it is today. It used to be like a kind of psych pop thing. And then I started working with Kevin. I was like, Ooh, laid back, sexy little eighties grooves. Sade. Oh showing my some God. Restraint. Yeah. Showing some <laughs> restraint, like laying out for once in your life. Camps bees. Shutting up for a second <laughs> that I haven't been able to do this whole interview. <laughs> that's where you're That's all right. This is not the place that I wanted yeah, you to exactly. be quiet. That would have been very upsetting for me if exactly. you were just like, mm -hmm. "This is the time and the place for not shutting up." <laughs> all right, man. Well, we're gonna. I'm gonna put all the links in the episode notes, and it's been a pleasure to get to jump on the mics with you and, and get Thanks to for letting me know you a little bit and and just get to pick your brain about 
your process like that that side of things is uh so foreign to me like i i always have like so much respect when i walk into a room and get to watch somebody just like run the shit yeah well feel free to stop by at some point it's fun yeah that'd be awesome um and also like you know i love i love sharing that part of music because it took me a long time to get to that place and i'm like ooh, i feel good like <laughs> i want other people to know how good this feels Cam you know Spies has got his confidence yeah right now, baby. <laughs> he's feeling himself and uh we're gonna play the episode out with that pitchfork review song from night heron and seance crasher cam we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show which is it's a program it means absolutely nothing you it's can deliver program. you're already doing it. you did it you it's a program you somehow found a voice filter without it's a program this guy's it's a program he's a technician <laughs> that's cam Spees, everybody links are in the episode it's notes <laughs> this is pitchfork review that's the jelly jams and we will catch you on the flip side portland or wherever you are listening from yeah
hey, just want to give a big shout out to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast and for their longtime support of this thing. Don't forget to find that discount link in the episode notes or in my Instagram bio. 30% off your first year membership with DistroKid, helping you get your music in all the places it needs to be. And big thanks to Drops for making some of my favorite edibles in the game, keeping me fine-tuned with their gummies, whether THC-heavy or CBD-heavy. Great for stress and solid sleep. Find them at your favorite local dispensary. Appreciate the support. More info on drops in the episode notes as well. Stay up. Stay tuned.